Hey guys, it's great to see you all here today. Uh, man, what an awesome way to start the morning with just being able to be centered and grounded in Jesus. Goodness, it's good. Um, so it is awesome to get to spend some time with you guys and to uh, share a little message with you. I just want to give you a fair warning. As Martin mentioned, I am rather pregnant, and as of this week, it feels like I'm going to pee my pants every five minutes. So if at any point I just like bolt off the stage, somebody should go get me a pair of pants. (laughs) But anyway, um, I want to start us off with a very significant question. And when I ask this question, I need you to actually respond, because if you don't, it's going to be awkward. So... My question is this, how many of you either had a practice pet or have given your child one? Practice pet is defined as guinea pig, gerbil, hamster, the rodent sphere of things, uh, fish, you know, that kind of a thing. Anyone ever had one or given their child one? Excellent. There's more of you than that, I know. Uh, So I always feel a little bad for these pets because... The reality is, is that we give them to our kids when our kids are old enough to really desperately and passionately whine for something fluffy to love, but they're not old enough yet that we're really confident they won't kill it. So we get them a practice pet, just in case. Um, And uh, for me personally, it was a guinea pig, and I think my parents would agree when I say that I kept it alive, but it didn't live its best guinea pig life. We'll just put it that way. Uh, And it was definitely better off when we uh, gave it to our neighbors. So, you know, there was that. But um, probably lots of you in here had hamsters because they're a fairly popular choice. Uh, I think I have a photo of one that you can put up on the stage there just in case you don't know what a hamster looks like. But uh, I had loads of friends with hamsters, and we spent so much time just watching them and laughing at them as they ran in their wheels, because they're just so urgent, you know? They're just so, like, desperately running, like their very lives depend on it, and you know it's got to come from some, like, primal hamster instinct of just, like, running from the predators. But it's really pathetic, because there's no predators there. Um, And as fast as they may run, they're not going anywhere. They're just stuck in the same spot. Um, But I think that we all connect with the the image of a hamster in a wheel. Because on some level, because if we're being honest, we all feel like that in our lives at times. We all get to places where we feel like we are running like crazy and not going anywhere. You know, it's no secret that we exist in a culture that is super fast-paced, and it feels like we're always on the go, constantly trying to just survive as we meet all the expectations we feel the world has of us, doing a lot of things that um, we're just doing because that's what we're supposed to do for some reason, And it's just really easy to get caught up in the busyness and a routine of just crazy um, to the point where we get to a place where it feels like instead of us running the race, the race is running us. 
You know, just like a hamster when, I swear you can see the fear in its eyes, when it's, it's gotten going fast enough that it, something changes and it's no longer in charge of the speed of this thing and the wheel has taken over and it knows that if it tries to stop, it's going to get flung across the stage or just go in loop-de-loops, you know? That's what it, it gets to that point where instead of us intentionally uh, being in charge of what's going on in our lives, it just feels like the race is running us. And when that happens, um, life stops being just uh, an incredible adventure where we're going deeper and growing in our relationship with God. It stops being a fulfilling journey and, and it becomes just exhausting. It becomes empty of purpose. And it feels like just a never-ending to-do list that's kind of meaningless and not accomplishing anything. But I have good news. And that is that we have a God who loves us. And he so deeply cares. He's not satisfied to let us just run like crazy running on empty in a shallow race. He is constantly finding opportunities to step in and interrupt and disrupt our regular routine of crazy to invite us into something deeper, to invite us to take a risk and follow him somewhere new. And that's the first point that I want to chat with us about this morning, is that God disrupts our regular to invite us deeper. There are loads of examples in scripture of Jesus inviting people deeper to the point that it was very stressful and difficult trying to pick one, but I did make up my mind. So today we are going to look at John chapter 9. And in this chapter, Jesus and his disciples are kicking around Jerusalem, as you do, And they come across a guy at the pools of Siloam. And this gentleman was um, really well known by his neighbors because he had a routine of begging at the pools because he was born blind. So at this point in his life, he developed that practice. And um, it was a smart location to beg at because the pools were a pretty hot spot in Jerusalem, so there was a lot of traffic going back and forth. But his begging routine on this day was quite significantly interrupted because Jesus came up to him and extended an invitation. And that invitation was to healing and to sight. Now, talk about a crazy opportunity to go deeper and experience life more fully. Like, not only is he going to have to find a change of occupation, because now he's not blind, so he doesn't have to beg, but he gets to see. He gets to see the faces of the people that he loves. He gets to look at himself in the mirror and know what he looks like. He gets to look at the world and all of the glory and beauty and wonder of God's creation. But the story doesn't end here with this blind man being healed. Because his routine wasn't the only one 
His regular wasn't the only one that was interrupted. Um, let's look at this verse. It says, oh, back it up a little bit. Thank you. Uh, some of the Pharisees said, this man Jesus is not from God, for he is working on the Sabbath. Others said, but how could an ordinary sinner do such miraculous signs? So there was a deep division of opinion among them. Now, I'm sorry, but this man was blind for his whole life. And he was just healed and gained sight. And on any regular day, in any kind of circumstance, that would be something to lose it over. If somebody got healed of blindness here on a Sunday morning, we would be going crazy. There would be no one sitting in this house. We would be all like trying to see the situation because that's so exciting. But um, the Pharisees were so caught up in maintaining their legalistic routine in um, you know, keeping control with their religious law that to them, this incredible healing was just a giant bureaucratic thorn in their side. They legitimately launched an investigation, which I find highly hypocritical, because they were all uptight about the fact that Jesus had apparently worked on the Sabbath by healing someone, which just sounds like fun to me. Um, And here they are launching an investigation, which sounds like a lot of work. But whatever, to each their own. So they launch an investigation, and uh, they call on the neighbors. They call upon the man who was blind. They call up his folks, and um, they're interrogating them, trying to get the whole story. And it's not until his parents are like, I mean, yeah, he's our kid. And yeah, he was born blind. And yeah, he's healed now. I don't know what to tell you. Um... That's when they were forced to accept that a miracle had occurred. But even then, what they did was they just tried to manipulate the testimony. They just tried to change it so that it fit into their old concept and experience, their shallow, um, you know, their shallow experience of religion. And this brings us to our next point. You know, we've seen how God disrupts our regular to invite us deeper. But your invitation, it requires an RSVP. And this is why. We don't have a God who's forceful. He doesn't force us into anything. We have a God who invites us into something exciting. And, and so you need to RSVP. And, and you will, like, it's not like Facebook, a Facebook event where you can just kind of like look at it and not respond, (laughs) you know, like you're going to respond, uh, because however you react in the moment, uh, to God's invitation, that's your RSVP. So I want to start with a maybe this scripture gives us the whole, not well, three yards of responses to an RSVP. So the maybe uh, you'll recall I mentioned that they uh, called up their, the parents to see what they had to say about the situation. And his parents replied, we know this is our son and that he was born blind, but we don't know that he can see or who healed him. Ask him. He's old enough. He can speak for himself. 
His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had announced that anyone saying Jesus was the Messiah would be kicked out of the synagogue. So if anyone should have been over the rim with excitement about the fact that this man was no longer blind but was healed, it should have been his parents, the people who raised him, who you would hope loved him and had high hopes for his life. They should have been going crazy with joy. But they were too afraid to commit one way or the other, so they just kind of said, maybe, you know, and the thing is, we can't judge because we've all been there. You know, I can't tell you how many times I have felt God poking at me, not, you know, aggressively, just, you know, a nice little prod. (laughs) Um, I felt him nudging me, calling me deeper, drawing me closer to him, but the weight of that wheel the burden of all of the things that I have to do and the stuff I've got to accomplish just feels so much louder and stronger. Or it just feels easier to drown out uh, my worries and my fears, uh, to numb them with distractions than it does to actually sit down and deal with them with Jesus. So I recognize the invitation. I see that it's there. And I say, okay, Jesus. Yeah, I'll be right there. I just need one more minute. I just got to do one more round of dishes. I've just got to scroll through Facebook feed one more time, just in case I find something revolutionary there. Um, But we all know this stuff just leads to more distractions. It doesn't end up in us actually taking the step to go deeper with God. So we can reply maybe, but it's probably not going to take us deeper in him. So then the next one I want to look at is a no. Uh, And if you haven't figured out by now, the people who say no are the Pharisees, because they always say no. So um, at this point... uh, Do I got a verse up there? Perfect. Okay, so at this point in the game, they've called up the man who was blind for a second round of interrogation, um, and they're trying to force him to say that it wasn't Jesus who healed him. It was just God, not Jesus, because Jesus is not the Messiah. He's a sinner who works on the Sabbath. So it was God, not Jesus. That's what they're trying to force him to do, and, and he's not giving in. And he gets sick of it, and he tells them, he's like, He gets a little lippy. He says, why are you asking me all these questions over and over again? Do you want to be his disciples? That was the wrong question to ask them. This is how they replied. They said, then they cursed him and said, you're his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know God spoke to Moses, but we don't even know where this man comes from. And then he gets cheeky again, and he says, why, that's very strange, the man replied. He healed my eyes, and yet you don't know where he comes from? We know that God doesn't listen to sinners, but he is ready to hear those who worship him and do his will. And then the next slide goes on to say, 
ever since, this is still the, the blind man speaking, or the now healed man. Ever since the world began, no one has been able to open the eyes of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't have done it. So the Pharisees cleverly reply, you were born a total sinner, they answer. Are you trying to teach us? And they threw him out of the synagogue. I was being sarcastic. It's not super clever. But how they are responding to him is by not only cursing him, but completely dehumanizing him. See, when they're referring to him as being born as a sinner, um, they're talking about the fact that he was born blind. And in that um, culture, there was a train of thought that a lot of people argued back and forth about this idea that if you were born in some way, um, you know, with a disability or with some kind of deformity or ailment, you were, you were, it was considered to be because either your parents had sinned, somehow you had sinned in the womb, um, or you were being pre-punished for some sin that you were going to commit later on in life. So either way, all of these options were the worst because all they did was as soon as you were born, label you with shame and sin. That, they, that was your identity if you were born with some of those things. So rather than um, embrace the excitement of the fact that this man had been healed, that was not his identity. He'd been healed. They just call him right back to it and use it as an excuse not to hear anything that he has to say. Um, so they curse him. They dehumanize him. And they ultimately completely reject him along with the invitation to the depth of what this miracle could mean for them. Because ultimately, the Pharisees valued the comfort and safety that they found in whatever control they thought they had. Um, And they would rather make that happen than surrender any of that to Jesus by acknowledging him as their savior and messiah, which is really sad because that would have brought a lot of awesome stuff to their lives. But instead, they were pretty just bent on keeping their control because that was what was nice and safe. Now, the thing is, I think that we often miss out on those invitations too because sometimes when, you know, sometimes our life is disrupted uh, and, and the invitation isn't comfortable and it can be a little bit painful and a little bit scary. Um, But sometimes that's an invitation to go deeper with God and to surrender to him. Uh, You know, when I am faced with the discomfort and the pain of rejection or the discomfort and pain of failure or my my deep fear of those things, You know, that's an opportunity for me to surrender my perfectionistic crutches and control, the things that I use to try and keep myself safe from failure and rejection. It's an opportunity for me to let go of that, as terrifying as that might be, and to allow God to go deep and to restore my identity in him with this truth, that my value is not determined by success or failure. 
And my value is not determined by whether or not people accept or reject me. My value is solely determined by the pricelessness of the life of Jesus given for me. We can, we can say no to this invitation when it's painful and when it's uncomfortable. But when we say no, we miss out. So I want to look at the best response, which is a yes. Um, and uh, so we're going to look at the next scripture here. Um, uh, yeah, this is the right one. And uh, this, is, this happened right after um, the man who was blind got kicked out of the synagogue. Uh, and this is what happened. It says, when Jesus heard what had happened, he found the man. So the, the guy gets kicked out of the synagogue, and Jesus goes and finds him and says, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he's referring to himself as the Messiah, as the Savior. And the man answered, who is he, sir? I want to believe in him. And Jesus says, you have seen him, and he is speaking to you. Yes, Lord, I believe, the man said. And he worshipped Jesus. When faced with intimidation, with fear, with rejection, this guy dug his heels in and held on to the depth of truth that God had invited him into. And as a result, he didn't just gain his sight, which is phenomenal in and of itself. He gained the knowledge that while he was still blind, God saw him, a blind beggar, and considered him worth attending to. He considered him worth talking to, worth healing, and worth inviting into something deeper with him. When we accept God's invitation to go deeper, we gain. It might be scary, and it might feel like we're losing at first, especially if we're losing control, you know? But ultimately, we gain. We gain freedom. We gain healing. We gain restoration. We, we gain purpose and calling and meaning in our lives. And that's just not worth giving up. It's not worth saying no to. Um, and so, you know, we've talked about how um, God disrupts our regular to invite us deeper. And he, uh, you know, this invitation, it requires our RSVP. But how exactly do we say yes? How do we accept this invitation? I want to go up to the next slide there. Um, We're called to accept it by taking the dive together. You'll notice that... um, The blind man wasn't the only one who received an invitation. His parents received an invitation. His neighbors received an invitation. His religious leaders received an invitation. And they didn't all RSVP, yes. (laughs) But they were all invited. It It didn't just stay with him. Because the invitation doesn't end with you. It begins with you. 
So we're all called to go deeper together because there's lots of ways, ultimately, that we could intentionally pursue depth with God. But the most effective and powerful one is with people. And I want to take this further by taking a look at Ephesians um, 3, verse 17 to 19, if we can get that up there. Um, And Paul is speaking to the church of Ephesians in a letter, and he says this, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. We're called to take that dive together. And ultimately, I'm responsible for my personal and spiritual growth. But part of that responsibility is recognizing that I can't effectively grow alone. I need people. I need a few people. I don't need a hundred. We're not pretending that you can be best friends and share all of your deepest life secrets with everybody you encounter in church on a Sunday morning. That's ridiculous. I need a few people who I trust and who I can be completely honest with about who I am, what I struggle with. A couple of people who love me enough to listen to me verbally diarrhea for a long time as I verbally process everything that God is doing in my life and how he's challenging me and what I'm wrestling with. I need people who love me enough to interrupt that verbal diarrhea to tell me when I'm speaking in a way that doesn't line up with my identity in Christ. I need people who love me enough to recognize my symptoms when I'm going into that hamster wheel and getting real caught up in it. And who will call me out (laughs) and say, Lauren, you need to go deeper. Lauren, you need to abide. You need to stop letting the race run you. I need people who will do that. And I need to be able to do that for people. If you want to go deep with God, you've got to find your few. You've got to find your people. And you've got to have an intentional agreement to do that together. Um, Now, you might do that through a Bible study. Maybe you do that by praying together, by sharing your lives, what's going on in them together, by encouraging and supporting each other along the journey. You might do all of those things together. Uh, Maybe you meet once a week. Maybe you meet once a month. Maybe it's in a coffee shop. Maybe it's at the bar. Maybe it's at the gym. Or maybe you go biking together. It doesn't really matter where or what you do as long as it's intentionally pursuing depth together. Um, And as I mentioned earlier... It's ultimately our responsibility, right? Like, no one can find your people for you. 
We've all had it when we were kids where our parents with the best of intentions tried to set us up with another kid to be friends with. And like, doesn't usually go great. Sometimes it does, but not, not usually. Because um, as easy and nice as that would sound if someone was to just be like, here, here's your buddy. <laughs> you know, that's not how it works. You, no one can find your people for you. You've got to find them yourselves. But that being said, there's lots of avenues and opportunities for you to do this. You know, maybe you're here this morning and this is really hitting home and God is really tugging at your heart and and calling you to not be just caught up in the exhausting race, but to go deeper with him and find those people. But you're sitting here and you feel completely alone. You can't think of a single person that you could be real with, that you could honestly talk with them about who you are and what's going on in your life. If that's you this morning, I just wanna encourage you that you are not alone. I can guarantee that there are other people who feel that, that way in this room too. And if that's you, that God is inviting you deeper and it will take an acceptance and a next step, and you can do it, and there are lots of opportunities. You know, at Gateway, we've got loads of different kinds of groups. We've got workshops and the academy running right now on Wednesdays at 6.30, and we'd love for you to come. Um, you know, we've got uh, all kinds of awesome teams running on a Sunday morning that you could be a part of, or events like the Holy Spirit Encounter coming up in a couple of weeks. And I'm not just running through this because I want you to come to our stuff, <laughs> okay? I'm, I'm telling you this because there's a reason why we put these things on. <laughs> we put them on because they are amazing opportunities for you to meet people for you to take that dive and start that journey of getting to know someone a little bit more and seeing where it goes. Um, You know, maybe you're here this morning and you're like, well, I've joined the team, I've been in groups, and I just, like, I've done all this stuff and I still haven't made any deep connections. That is totally fair. I think we've all been there. Um, You might have to ask somebody out for coffee. I'm sorry, but you might have to do it. And I know it's not comfortable, but it's like dating, okay? You know, dating can be fun, but if we're all being honest, it can be very stressful. It can be really difficult and scary and exhausting. And yet a lot of us do it anyways, because the potential result of finding somebody who really gets you, of finding somebody who you can do life with, is so valuable that it's worth the awkward dates, okay? So when you ask someone out for coffee, you're probably gonna encounter a couple of awkward coffees, and that's okay, all right? The worst thing that's happened is you've gotten to know someone better. When you offer to go out for coffee with somebody, you're not like signing your name in blood to spend the rest of your lives with them, all right? (laughs) It's just a coffee, it's okay. And you might need to do that. (laughs) Um, Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, you know what, I have got really good relationships. I have people who I trust um, and who I can share my life with. That is awesome. But maybe you feel like you've never actually intentionally gone deeper with these people. 
uh, I would encourage you that probably the next step for you is to have a conversation with them, you know? Um, talk about what that could look like if you guys were to take the dive together, to really explore uh, your purpose and your identity in Christ and what he's calling you together. Uh, you might feel super stoked about that idea and real confident just starting it up, but if you're like, I feel like I need a little direction, I need some guidance, I'm not really sure what to start with, uh, then we've got a sheet that you can sign up at, at the info desk. It's called uh, Group, um, sorry, not Group, Going Deeper Resources. <laughs> Um, and uh, if you sign up there, then we'll send you information on a variety of different resources and materials that you could use to get that conversation going and, and intentionally pursue that depth with God. So fill that out if that's where you're at. In a minute here, I'm going to invite us all to stand together, but I just want to encourage you all first that wherever you're at in life, whatever stage you're in, You have a God who's calling you deeper. And he's got good stuff for you in that dive. And, uh, you know, if you're not sure where to get started, I would encourage you to talk to somebody, one of the, like someone at the info desk in the foyer, send me an email, go to the orange wall, you know. We would love to help you find that opportunity that you need to go deeper in God. Um, so I just want you all to stand with me in a, uh, right now. And, and I want you to close your eyes and think, if, if God is really speaking to you right now, if he's really touching your heart and calling you deeper, talk to him about it. In this moment, ask him, what is the next step for you? Where is he taking you? Is there someone in particular? Or is there a group, a place, a space where you can start to get to know people? Whatever it is, just let God speak to you about that right now. And say yes. <laughs> say yes, because it is so worth it. God, we just thank you so much that you are so great and so giving and so loving that you have blessed us all with life and that you want us to explore it deeply with you. Jesus, I thank you that you created us in your image, that we weren't meant to do this alone, but that we were, we were meant to experience the dive deeper together. And I pray um, this morning that you would take down all of our barriers and all of our walls, all of the things that keep us stuck on that hamster wheel of life. Um, and, and stop us from going deeper in you and abiding in you and pursuing you in community. Uh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you would just minister to us throughout the week and, and bring those people to our minds and, and help us to say yes to your calling to God.